Shake off the chills. <clears throat> wow, I, one of the things I love about this time of year is Raina Cargill comes to town sometimes, and then she comes and shares these gifts. We're going to talk about that idea today, and this is such a perfect example of regifting to us. For our blessing and to the glory of God, what God has gifted already. What a beautiful, beautiful song and beautifully sung. So I, I hope you've had a good Christmas. It's kind of a uh, kind of an unusual Sabbath, the the day after Christmas. So you're a little bit torn, you know. Are we all done with that, or do we still want to do a little bit of it? So we're, we're kind of kind of got one foot in both places here. We're in that really weird week that comes between Christmas and New Year's where you're not really sure if you should go to the office or not. I mean, what would be the point, really? But uh, we're kind of in that zone, but that's all right. New Year's is coming. We'll get back on track. But maybe you see something up here that you've seen before. Do you remember those gears? Yeah, they look a little different. We've uh, we wrapped them up for Christmas. They look good, don't they? Yeah. Pastor Patty and... Uh, and the Fishers spent quite a bit of time putting that together last week, getting that all together. They actually, I, I said, Patty, that'd be really neat if we, if we wrapped them up for Christmas. And I had no idea she'd do such an amazing job. I think she actually worked a little too hard, but don't tell her that. But uh, you can't even see the seams on there, hardly. Amazingly done. So if you ever have gifts, Patty has a new business she's opening up. Uh, <laughs> Hofer's Wrapping. So, No. No, okay, not doing that. All right, so but I hope you've enjoyed your Christmas and having a good time. We've got uh, family visiting, which is always brilliant. And, uh, <laughs> and be sure, be sure your, your words, at least, if not your sins, will find you out. Because I, I took some liberties at the first couple services to talk about my brother-in-law, who's visiting from California. And people have already called him from California who were watching online and told him the things I said at the service he wasn't even at and I'm already in trouble. (laughs) So I figure I might as well just go ahead now. But no, all I said was... (laughs) I guess I said two things, really. One of them was uh, he never got married. And that's exactly true. And so he lives like you live when you never got married. He owns two houses, but instead he lives on a sailboat. So, I mean, that's, that's how you do it. And he doesn't get here to visit very often because it takes a really long time to sail all the way around Argentina and, uh, and get here. So we're glad he's here. And then the other thing I said, and maybe this is what you heard. I don't know if that was it or if this was. But I said something about it's always a little strange in your life when the people you consider young, because he's eight years younger than Alicia and I, and the people you consider young show up with gray in their hair. That's always a, a disturbing day. So I don't know what it was, but we're pleased to have my brother-in-law and my mother and father-in-law here uh, for this Christmas. We've had a good time together. Uh, it's great to get the family together. I hope you've had a chance to do some of that and have enjoyed this time. What a gift that is. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, Lord. I pray 
that your spirit be strong in us and in this place. And as our hearts have been moved by the, the different music that we've heard already today, now move us by your spirit with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a text that you've probably heard a number of times, but it's one of those that sometimes is a little hard to know what to do with. And it's John chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. It's Jesus talking to the disciples right down near the end. And, and he says this, he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, maybe you've read that, and and there are apparently some people who've read this text and assume that that means you need to live your life miserable and hateful, because that's how they're living their life. They seem to absolutely hate everything about life. But somehow I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I think rather than this being a, a text talking about how we're living our life on the outside, I think this has more to do with the heart. And what's going on inside? He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So there's a couple things here this text puts together for us. To serve Jesus means to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus means to do the things that Jesus did, to give your life for that purpose. Now, I'm going to tell you right here up front as we're just getting started what it is I'm saying to you today. And I'm going to tell you right now, and this is what it is. We have received an amazing gift of salvation from God through Jesus Christ. And we need to re-gift that gift in the way we live our lives. Re-gifting. That's actually kind of a concept that I think is, is more relevant to the era in which we live because the whole notion of regifting really only becomes practical and real when you're living in a time with an abundance. Regifting is something you do when you've received an abundance and you have plenty, and so you regift. You give to others. It's it's not like generations ago, like you would hear about the, the the young people were excited because they got an orange for Christmas. That was probably never a big deal in Florida, but in some parts of the world, the notion of an orange. Well, you don't really regift that. You just kind of eat it right then. And maybe they got a homemade doll or a homemade wooden cart. And that was, that was Christmas. And there wasn't that much to it. But in an age of abundance, you know how it is now. All of a sudden, you're, you're invited to that staff Christmas event. Or you receive a gift from someone you didn't receive it, you expect to receive a gift from. And you're thinking, oh, i got to get them something. So you run into the room where you've got everything stored. And you re-gift. You grab one. You wrap it up and you give it to someone else. Regifting is the privilege of those who have abundance. God's grace to us has flowed with abundance. 
And as those who have received his abundant grace, we must now re-gift that grace to each other. Jesus gave us the gift of his life. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. A son is gifted. For what purpose? Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, an offering, a free gift, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. So even though great hardship and trouble and pain and suffering came upon Jesus, yet the text says he will see his offspring and prolong his days. Now who are his offspring? Is it not we who have come after and believed in the name of Jesus? And is it not we who follow Jesus and do what Jesus did that are truly his offspring sent out into the whole of the world to re-gift the gift of grace? Jesus came to us as a baby that we might be delivered from our sins. You see, in the beginning, we fell away from God and we were separated from God, but God did not want to lose us. And so God made covenant with us that he would restore us, that we could be with him. And the whole Old Testament is the story of God covenanting with his people, yet his people continually fail. They fail as a large group. They fail as a small group. They fail as individuals. Every example. Yes, we serve him well at times, but then we fall away. In order for God to make good the covenant he made with us, he needed there to be one of us, a human, who could make good the human side of the covenant. God had made his promise, but none of us were able to fulfill our part. Therefore, in order for God to save us, he not only had to promise his part, he had to deliver our part as well. Jesus came as a baby that we might be delivered from sin. We failed, so in order to save us, God had to find a way to keep the covenant for us. Now this was his plan from the beginning, but he also knew that we needed the history of failure so that we could understand our need for Jesus. The only way he could do this was to become one of us. And as one of us, prove faithful to the Father on behalf of all of us. This is all contained in the miracle of the incarnation. So many miracles, so many amazing things that a virgin could give birth is a miracle. That God could become a true human yet still be God is a miracle. And another miracle is that we would hear and believe this story. The Bible has an interesting way of addressing this. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear. 
as if the great truths of God are knowable in the hearing to any heart that is open to the Holy Spirit. So Jesus paid this price and gave us the gift of salvation and the gift of deliverance from our sins. So what is our proper response to the gift? Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. God did not deliver us from death to leave us in a state of dying. He came to rescue us from death and deliver us to life. This is what Jesus is talking about when he said, the one who loves their life will lose it. The one that loses their life will gain it. The one who recognizes that the selfish heart leads to death will lose their life because they will let go of trying to hang on. But the one who follows after Jesus who re-gifts their gift of grace will gain an eternal life. And they will no longer be instruments of wickedness, but rather will become instruments of righteousness. God gives us this great and surpassing grace. But we need to understand the nature of this grace. God gives us this grace and then he calls us to follow after Jesus and re-gift the grace to everyone else. It seems like with theology, we're, we're continually getting caught in cycles of, of swinging to and fro and being tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine that comes along. And, and sometimes we get caught way over here on this side with, and we become very legalistic and, and very moralistic and behavioristic. And, and, and in our effort to do good, we make life miserable and we find no joy. And then we rediscover the gospel and, and we speak of the gospel and we speak of how God comes to us where we are and how God finds us where we are and how his grace is sufficient for us where we are. But then sometimes we forget that God's purpose is to save us from where we are, not leave us there. It's as if we're drowning in an ocean and here is Jesus in a lifeboat and he throws us a ring and we grab it and we hang on to it and we're saved and it's our moment of salvation and then Jesus begins to pull us towards the boat and we let go. We said, no, don't pull me to the boat. And Jesus says, but I'm trying to save you. And we say, well, just keep throwing me the ring. I'll just stay here in the water. And Jesus is like, no, come get in the boat. We have other people to save. 
And we're like, no, just leave this ring with me. I'll just hang out in the water. He says, but the water's cold. Yeah, but I might not like life in the boat. That's not what Jesus is trying to do. He's throwing us the ring. Yes, he comes to where we are. We can't get to where he is. He comes to where we are. He throws us the ring and then he pulls us aboard and then we join Jesus' team. We're we're part of the crew now. We grab an oar or we run the wheel or whatever he gives us to do. Now we're part of the team. Now we're working with Jesus. One of my frustrations sometimes is, is, yes, God calls and accepts us in the midst of our weakness, but he never intends us to stay right there in our weakness. It's not a virtue, and it's not a true sign of acceptance of grace to foolishly or belligerently continue to live in your sins. Listen to this text again. Romans 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let this happen. Do not offer any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Yes, God loves you. Yes, Jesus died to save you. Yes, be affirmed and feel good about it. But now, stop living like you don't know who Jesus is. Why? Because when you claim to know Jesus and then live like you don't, you cause offense to those who don't know Jesus. And instead of making the name of Jesus famous with your life, you make the name of Jesus a joke with your life. But this is not how it was meant to be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So Jesus is the living stone. And as we come to him, the living stone, we become living stones as well. This is what it means to follow after Jesus, to do the things he did. We become living stones. And then it goes on. Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priest offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we come to Jesus and we come alive. And then God takes us, God the great architect, and he begins to build us into a spiritual house where each of us, based on who we are, based on our shape as a living stone, is placed exactly where we need to be. And together, we become this royal priesthood, a holy priesthood that offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Every one of us matters. Every stone is important to what God is building and all of us are alive for him. We become a holy priesthood offering acceptable spiritual sacrifices. We become the offering to the world 
that is the result of God's gift of grace to us. God takes us and re-gifts us to the rest of the world. So what manner of gifting has God given us that we have in abundance? Well, have you ever known peace in your heart because of the peace you have with God through Jesus Christ? Maybe you could re-gift a little peace back into a world where there's not much peace. Have you known abundant love in your life that God has poured out upon you? Then share that abundant love with those around you. Has God shown you abundant kindness? Then show kindness. Has God shown you goodwill in your time of need? Then show goodwill in others' need. All of the fruit of the Spirit, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If God has poured these into your life with abundance, then share these in abundance with those around you. And the other spiritual giftings of God, the, the gifts of works and of service and of, and of teaching and of administration and of giving and all the different gifts that God pours upon the community. If you're blessed materially, then give materially. If you're blessed in understanding, then share your knowledge. If you're good at helping, then get up and help. There's nothing more frustrating than coming upon someone or something with the prospect to give good gifts and even boasts of an ability, but yet the gifts are never forthcoming. Proverbs 25 verse 14, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. That's probably not the best illustration for someone who lives in Florida because clouds and wind always have rain, don't they? But if you lived in a dry region where there were no rivers to water your crops and unless the clouds and rain came, your crops wouldn't grow and you wouldn't survive, nothing would break your heart more than when the ground was dry and the clouds came by but there wasn't a drop of rain. God's people boast of having many gifts of the Spirit. But we're like clouds and wind without rain if we boast of the gifts but never give them. To claim to be a Christian yet never to re-gift the gift of grace you have received is to become a curse, not a blessing. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. I want to go back to the beginning there, and I want you to catch this word. One or two of you should use whatever gifts you have. Is that what it says? A small handful of you should use whatever gifts you have. So that's not it either, is it? About two-thirds of you. No. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God pours out his grace into our lives. He gifts us and enables us, and then it is to us to use those gifts to serve one another. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That's what's really neat about this. When we take the abundance of grace that God has given us and the giftings that God has given us and then use it on behalf of others, God then is praised through Jesus Christ. It's like with the song we heard earlier. God has blessed her with amazing gifts. And she took those gifts and blessed us with a song. And God was glorified through Jesus Christ. Now maybe we don't all stand up here and sing like that. In fact, probably none of us do. But there are ways that each of us can take the grace God has given, use it in the world, and the result is God is glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, the text says. Amen. This is what it means to be re-gifted, to be given by God. So you see, we wrapped up the gears because as we got down towards the end of the year and we got talking about, okay, what kind of a theme should we use for next year? We decided we just weren't done with engagement yet. So you're going to see the gears again next year. And so we wrapped them all up pretty for you to open up for next year as well. We're re-gifting ourselves the gears, the gears of engagement Because there is much we have left to do. And this is a theme we need to keep in our minds. And and here's how the year is going to start with engagement. We're going to start with all of our services, but particularly at first and third, the first part of next year, we're going to focus on a theme of engaging with our own personal health and well-being. Because if we're going to be effectively engaged tools that God is going to use to make a difference in the world, we need to be strong of body and strong of mind and clear of mind. And part of that has to do with the choices we make on how we live our life. So we're going to spend some weeks at the beginning of this year focusing on the theme of creation health, an approach to health that's been developed by Florida Hospital, by by our own people part of our family we're going to spend some time focusing there and then and then as we move on when we get into March and April that's the time of the year uh, when we have our small group series and our engagement with each other in groups but we're going to be engaging this year a theme of engagement with spiritual disciplines am I surprising you when I say it's a good idea to read your bible every day I think you've heard that one haven't you But so often we know things, yet we don't act on them. Do you know the reason you need to read your Bible every day? It doesn't have anything to do with, you're going to have to be real careful because there might be a rule you're breaking and you better find it. 
Or it's not about uh, trying to figure out the perfect theologies. It's not about that at all. It's about getting that way of thinking into your head because when the, the Bible and what it contains is an automatic part of your mindset and thinking, you live life with an advantage. I have a text to prove that. I just read it this morning. Psalm 119, verse 98. Check this out. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. You want an advantage in living? Then get those words of the Bible in your head every day and you'll be wiser than your enemies. Not enough for you? All right, 99. I have more insight than all my teachers for I meditate on your statutes. One more. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. You want to be advantaged in living? Then you want to go to the Word every day. You want to pray every day. You want to learn what it means to take some time in silence so that it's not just you talking all the time, but you're listening for the voice of God. We're going to focus on these things in March and April so that this next verse can come true in our lives so that we can say, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. John 12, verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's really talking about the core. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. I'll be honest with you, I worry sometimes about many of you who are a part of this congregation who are prospering so greatly in the world. You really are. You're doing great. You're having amazing experiences. You're going amazing places and doing amazing things. It's pretty easy for someone to long for the world to come when the life they live is really hard. Are any of us at risk of losing the eternal life? Because the one we're living is so good? I have a theory on the rampant mental distress that goes on in our day. And, it, and, and to give you a context of it, I was sitting home with the kids the other day. We were, we were having worship there. Alicia wasn't back yet. But we were sitting in there on the couches. And we were, we were talking to each other and I said, you know, it doesn't occur to us very often, but it's, a, it's very true that we're sitting here in this living room, in this air-conditioned room. I don't know how people lived in Florida before air conditioning. Well, we're sitting here in this room on these couches that are more comfortable than the chairs that kings used to sit on. And we're just sitting here with our feet up. And when we're done, we're going to get up and go to our private rooms where we're going to lay down on comfy beds. We're living pretty good compared to the history of the world, 
compared to much of the world right now. And so here's my theory on the rampant mental distress of our day. The depression, the anxiety, the stress, the fearfulness that goes on around us. I think it's this. We really do love this life. And there's somewhere in our mind that tells us, you know, maybe this really can be awesome. But here's the thing. Just when we think life is great, that one little thing comes up, doesn't it? You know, I think if we lived our lives where most every experience we had was hard, but every now and then we had a good one, we might be a lot more mentally stable than when everything is good and occasionally we have a bad one. Because if it was this way, we'd be pleased and surprised every time things went well. But as it is now, we live our whole lives in fear of the time it won't go well. The time something goes bad. Life can be awesome, but we will not achieve an awesome life by a selfish means. This life truly becomes awesome when we fully engage as disciples of Jesus, working for and building up his kingdom, not our kingdom. We gain our lives when we finally give them up. So here's the reflection moment for you. Do you have some re-gifting to do this next year? Has God poured abundance into your life? What has God given you that he calls you to re-gift to others? How will you engage in the new year? I know you have accepted the gospel, but are you ready now to live the gospel? Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.